0: Welcome to Sermons from San Diego, a podcast of preaching at Mission Hills United Church of Christ. I'm the Reverend Dr. David Barr, but please just call me David. I invite you to listen and come along as we try to follow the teachings of Jesus and the wisdom of Scripture to build a world that is open, inclusive, just, and compassionate. And now, for this week's sermon. A couple of days ago, that's all it was, a couple of days ago, The mountain they were camped below was pounded over and over by lightning so hard that it was covered in smoke. And in that haze of smoke, loud horns blaring and getting louder, pounding and blaring and pounding and blaring, and then all of a sudden it stopped. Just the sound of sheer silence. The people looked around nervously. What would happen next? like maybe an earthquake or a violent windstorm. I mean, after witnessing ten plagues involving frogs and bugs as well as blood and death, literally anything could happen. But what happened had never happened before, and they hoped would never happen again. The smoke cleared, and behind it was a dark cloud, and from the cloud they heard a voice. Not a voice in their heads, but they collectively stood there and heard. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You must have no other gods before me. Do not make an idol for yourself. And yes, they are the Ten Commandments, but commandment number two isn't just don't make an idol for yourself. It goes on in great in greater detail. Do not make an idol for yourself, no form whatsoever of anything in the sky above or on the earth below or in the waters of the earth. Do not bow down to them or worship them, because I, the Lord your God, am a passionate God. That's the second commandment, not to be confused with the second amendment, which, come to think of it, needs to be amended with the second commandment since it appears the problem we have with guns is the problem of idolatry. Anyway, the voice of God continues, and finally number 10. Don't desire what isn't yours. Your neighbor's house, wife, servants, animals, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. But they didn't know that commandment number 10 was the end. After a little while, someone asked, Is he done yet? The people stood around and marveled at what had just happened. Someone spoke up, well, I don't know what the big deal is. That's just common sense. Why all the pounding and blaring and drama? And someone else chirped in, and yeah, did they have to all be so negative? There was a chorus of yeah, yeah, and and how about what we should do instead of what thou shalt not? Let's make our own list. And so someone found some newsprint and markers that smelled like their color, you know, purple smells like grapes and red like strawberries and and one by one people called out what they thought were more hopeful and positive suggestions like be mindful of god in all things and someone said how about be truthful in all things not just about false testimony and not just don't kill commit to nonviolence one of the people studying buddhism which didn't, of course, exist for yet another thousand years or more. Suggested, let go of possessing all things, or they will possess you. A free spirit spoke up, take time to let yourself be without having anything to do, also known as Sabbath. And a mystic added, God is mystery. Beware of thinking that you understand or. That you can control God. And while Moses appreciated their enthusiasm, he shook his head and started climbing back up the mountain. He had a lot of details to work out with God, and it would take a while. The group discussion, however, kept going, one suggestion shouted out after another. But unfortunately, this didn't make it into Scripture because the scribe in charge of the newsprint lost it. And no one could remember what they had said, and so the whole thing is gone from the historical record. Well, not really, but why not? It is a story, and the Bible is not historical fact. As I've said before, these are stories that search for meaning. Who are we? Why do humans do what we do? How should we treat one another? like the mystics suggestion written on the newsprint with grape smelling purple marker tragically forever lost beware of thinking that you understand or that you can control god but then moses wasn't gone for more than a couple of days if that when the people began to panic fear took over and when they st- and they started pressuring aaron to do something anything well, actually, they were, weren't were just asking for anything. They were quite specific. Come on, man, make us some gods who can lead us. They said, who knows what happened to that Moses fellow? And so Aaron gathered together all the gold from the people, the gold the Egyptians had, had handed over when the people were rushing out of town. He melted it down and formed it into a bull calf, and the people were ecstatic and declared, declared this to be their gods who brought, you up out of the land of Egypt. Oh, what a sad, sad betrayal. Just a couple of days, more than three months, after their miraculous escape through the sea. Aaron saw what was happening and set up an altar in front of the golden calf. Now, was it an altar to the calf, or by putting the altar in front of the calf, was he trying in any way he could think of to put the Lord first? Well, it's bad either way, and God wasn't happy, and I wouldn't be either. And hurt and angry, God told Moses to do something about your people. Like you and I might say to our spouse, look what your child has done. And then God offered to start all over again and make a great nation out of Moses. Instead of all the generations that had come before, abandoning Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob and Leah and Rachel and Joseph and his eleven brothers and on down the line for hundreds of years. But Moses didn't fall for the flattery and turned it around and reminded God, wait a minute, these are your people and you don't want to get a bad reputation with the Egyptians, do you? You don't want them saying bad things about your intentions, do you? And then Moses actually dared to tell God, Calm down. He worked every angle until God finally changed God's mind. And having relented and exhausted from all the emotion, God fell on the couch and curled up in a ball and asked Moses for a cup of tea to calm his nerves. Moses replied, Personally, I need something a little stronger than tea after all that. Again, we're not talking about the historical record, but we're trying to relate to God with an emotional impact and understood this way. I love how human God is in this story and relatable in so many ways. Not a supreme being, cold and hard, distant without emotion. Emotion. We can imagine the pain God felt at being betrayed. God responded to their cries to escape the cruelty of Egypt, did everything possible to get them free from Pharaoh, provided on the journey through the wilderness, and just a couple of days before, provided instructions to set them on a path toward their freedom. I feel like I understand this, God. But that's also dangerous to make God so small as to think we can possibly understand and then assign to God such human qualities as pettiness and rage and violence. I mean, is God really that human? And with that comes the danger, for example, that we think surely God hates the same people we hate. And God holds a grudge, so I can hold a grudge too, etc. and on. Eventually, we stop having a God And rather, we have a mascot, God domesticated into a form we can control. And what's that called? An idol? If I dare say it, God doesn't want idols, nor does God want to be an idol either. A thing to admire and put on the shelf and pull out when we want something. I think the biblical record is pretty consistent when it shows that God has always just wanted a relationship of mutual love. All God wants is love. Instead, over and over, we betray God by following after anything that's shiny and new, leaving God, the God of great love, heartbroken. Why do we do that when all God wants is love? Well first let's talk about Aaron. He might have we might think of Aaron as as weak-willed and he immediately caved into their demands. Why didn't he stand up and remind the people of what they just heard from God's own mouth? And yes, I have just assigned to God the human attribute of having a mouth and speaking. That's how hard it is to think of and speak about a mystery as grand as God. But As weak-willed as Aaron might have been, the poor guy was being confronted by people acting out of fear. On the other hand, he might have also been quite clever. You know how they kept saying they missed being in the land of free cucumbers and leeks and onions and watermelons, where they could die in comfort? And oh yeah, back uh, when they were enslaved? Well, what did Aaron make out of their gold jewelry? Aaron fashioned out of gold gold, a bull calf, an Egyptian fertility god named Apis. They would have seen it many times in Egypt. So was Aaron trying to shock them into this realization? This would have been familiar times, but violent. Toxic memories, but familiar. In their ecstasy, they worshipped the past, which wasn't even their past, and yearned for a time when they weren't free. And therefore, it was necessary to spend the next forty years in the wilderness. It wasn't a punishment, though it would seem there would be plenty of justification for that. But those forty years were a time to free themselves of the desire to go back, and it wasn't until the last of the generation of those enslaved. Had died, that they finally crossed over into the Promised Land. That seems sad to me. And it feels real, worshiping the past instead of trusting and following God into the future. Worshiping memories, distorted memories, frightened of the future. How do we appreciate the past without making it into an idol? I want to commend you in the church. Last week, you gave unanimous consent to a major rewrite of our bylaws. New bylaws might not seem like that much of a great accomplishment, but good bylaws give space for doing great things. We went from having everything specified in great detail, I mean, great detail, to a structure characterized by a lot of flexibility. You voted for a model that embraces, we'll figure it out, and approach the process with curiosity, not fear. So well done. And going forward, we'll have a lot more questions about how we get things done than we know how, but we can do so without fear. And I'm not sure you can appreciate how extraordinary that is during a time in which churches are being shaken to their core, when for many, their best days are clearly behind. And so why not worship the past This Czech church respects our history, loves this beautiful sanctuary, treasures the organ that will turn 100 years old next year, while at the same time enthusiastically singing music written in this century and of many more styles than ever before. The expanded selection of music has been an adjustment for some as much as it has been welcomed by some but the consistent response has been to learn to sing new music because it's for the sake of our future. And that future, because you're not afraid, is hopeful. We have to keep trusting God with our future. The Christian church in general is in serious decline, but last week we received our 17th new member this year. Our church is full of kids running around and actually excited to be in church. And in a nod to our history, next weekend 75 people will be at the Pilgrim Pines camp, including nearly every family with children in the church, deepening our faith and our relationships as we seek to have an even greater impact on the church and as a church. Our pledge drive for 2024 starts in two weeks. And I know churches that are cutting their budgets before they even ask, fearful of diminishing contributions and fearful of even asking for increased generosity. I'm not afraid. We have something astonishing going on here. God is doing astonishing things here, to which I know I can't help but say, I want to be a part of that future. I think that's true for you too. And, thankfully, the people in our past provided for us when the need is greater than our resources. And you're not afraid to use them. You know that not touching money in some churches is the biggest idol of them all. So, throughout history, all God has ever wanted from people is love. Mutual love. And for God's people to love each other. And that's what makes this church special it's all you want to and you show it in so many ways every day and I I tell you it's not flattery if all I'm doing is telling you the truth